98.5 on the FM band, and uh, the show is the Tom Kearney Show, here every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 till 10, a little bit of live radio, live radio, radio in real time, that means it's happening right now, it's not recorded, and uh, we try to bring you shows that are entertaining, or uh, educational, and sometimes both, and when Tony Rigsby is our guest, it's both, uh, uh, one of the products of Durham, North Carolina. He has long been on radio station WPTF. In fact, when we had our anniversary broadcast back about a month ago, he was one of our one of our witnesses. He is kind of an amateur historian. And in, uh, in a way, he's uh, if you go back and uh, mark the times that people joined WPTF to work, I think he's probably the furthest back. Isn't that right, Tony? Well, it, it depends on how you look at it, Tom. Uh, in, in terms of the first time I worked there, which was part-time for WPTF-FM, which now QDR, that was 1971. So, yeah, looking at it that way, I do go back farther than anybody else. In terms of being there continually longer than anybody else, uh, Mike Rayleigh has been there since 1975, and I came back again in 1978 and stayed for 25 years then, and then came back again in uh, in. 2014. So I've had several different stints, but one way of looking at it, I have been there longer than anybody. If you go back to the first date of employment, yes, uh, that's about. I, I was thinking you're our our furthest back, as they they say. And uh, but I, I renew that. I Mike think I'm the only person who goes back to Mason and Pointer. Right, and and I knew that. And they Mason and Pointer, ladies and gentlemen, were Richard Mason, the long time, 40 years. Uh, GM of WPTF, who made it a class radio station, uh, forced to be dealt with, and and uh, and Graham Pointer, who was the program director and who made the same kind of contribution to the programming of WPTF, and affectionately known as Pappy, and known as Pappy, and uh, uh, respected by uh, both of them, respected by people in the radio business, uh, and. Uh, but Tony is here now, and he we just can't get rid of him is what it is. I get to be, I think, Tony's third on that list because I'm, I, I have been there since 1982. Uh, but uh, I'll never catch That's up right. to my... And, and uh, you, uh, I remember your first day. <laughs> well, you were one of my mentors. You taught me how to throw headsets at people. Yeah, I like did. That. taught you how to throw a headset across the studio on a Saturday afternoon. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and... and uh, God knows what with the late Lowell Shoemaker, one of one of our heroes. But uh, in any event, uh, Tony, um, in my last days as a full-time uh, person at WPTF, when I worked in the daytime, in other words, I missed him because he had uh, retired to other endeavors, and uh, but he has come back since then. And I always missed him because whenever I had a baseball question, I could ask him. He knows more about minor league baseball than anybody that I have ever met, and about baseball in general. Uh, he's right up there with him, and so, uh, and he's our baseball guy, so when we want to talk baseball, we invite Mr. Rigsby to be on the radio with us, he's going to be doing news tomorrow, and he's just as good a newsman as he is a sports commentator, but tonight is the first night, first day, first night of the World Series of 20, not 19 anything, boy am I behind, 2020. And it's an... Yeah, that was 20 years year ago, for, Tom, in 19. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was... I guess I was wishful hoping because I I really 
uh, and nostalgic for things when the season was 162 games long, and you you get the drift of this. Uh, all the, the machinations that have had to take place for us to have a baseball season. And so I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about that and how you think the season went this year. As, as well, a I really, thought, you know, the abbreviated 60-game schedule went really, really well once we started playing. You know, you had, uh, particularly in the early going, you had a few teams that uh, had to miss games, particularly the uh, uh, Miami Marlins and St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, with COVID-19 cases, but for the most part, in the latter portions of the season, uh, there were really no stumbling blocks at all. Uh, You got through that uh, abbreviated regular season and then to the expanded playoffs with 16 teams in that first round, the best of three uh, wildcard round, and then moving on to the Divisional Series, Championship Series, and now the World Series, and it's gone very, very well, and uh, in the National League Championship Series and now in the World Series, for the first time since spring training in March, actually fans in the stands. So that's uh, that is a major achievement, I think. Well, something I realized because I'll have to admit that I had other matters on my mind a lot this summer, and as a good many of us did, and uh, and I was also a little depressed about the baseball season. So I didn't, I shouldn't have let this happen, but I didn't follow it as closely as as I might have, and so uh, last night I was uh, watching part of the game. I, I've tried to watch a few innings because that's the way I sort of keep my grandfather alive. Uh, as long as he was alive, the only thing he required of his grandson is that on Saturday afternoon I show up to watch the baseball game with him, and so I did. And he made me a Yankee fan, and I remain as such, uh, along with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But I... Uh, took a while figuring out, you know, the playdowns and how the World Series is going to take place. And one thing that I didn't figure in was where the games were going to be played. And, and I figured out that they had played the National League Series in Arlington, Texas, which is the home field of the Texas Rangers, I believe. The brand-new Globe Life Field in its first year of existence. And they never had any fans there for a Rangers game in their abbreviated first year. But uh, now... Uh, uh, in both the National League Championship Series and the World Series, there are fans there. So Globe Life Field at least has gotten a few fans in its first year. And, of course, you, as you mentioned, it is the uh, the uh, regular season home of the Texas Rangers. And uh, and Rangers uh, regular season PA announcer Chuck Morgan getting to do the PA for the World Series. So I know Chuck, and I, I know he's really enjoying that, too. Well, you work with those people. Some, in fact, I, maybe John always tells me all of his secrets, but he said you, the two of you were talking about that this is the first time in 10 years you've been in North Carolina on this date. Yeah, it is. First time I've been in North Carolina in October in 10 years, and uh, the Arizona Fall League was unfortunately, and I, I don't think wisely, but it was unfortunately uh, canceled for this year. Uh, but um, it is very strange not to be in Arizona during the World Series, and uh, this is the first time that I haven't voted absentee ballot in many, many years. I actually went and did early voting in person the other day. You've but, already uh, done it. You're one of those almost two million people who've already voted. Then. Yeah, I did it Sunday afternoon in downtown Durham. It only took me 20 minutes. I was, I thought it was a very, very smooth process. You have done your patriotic requirement then. Um, well, particularly, you know, uh, I'm a political science major. If I didn't vote, they would revoke my degree. <laughs> they probably would, as a matter of fact. 
I can remember. I know one of your teachers, and you may remember who it was. You may not, but uh, I could. You, when you were in school, part of the time you were working about three different jobs, and she said she had to slap you on the head. One, no, she didn't say this, but she said that I used to feel sorry for Tony because he was working so hard that I think he went to sleep in class one time. I'm just yeah, told I think that, that's uh, Professor Gail O'Brien, who yeah. I remember very fondly. <laughs> she said that, and uh, and. Uh, and uh, but uh, obviously, I, I know you were a good student because you know a lot, of, a lot more about. And I was a history major, a lot more about the history and some of the politics uh, uh, than than I do. And uh, when I have one of those uh, intricate questions about something that the Supreme Court is doing, because you 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 passed through law school at, 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 uh, pretty quickly, but you did. And you understand a lot the part of my checkered past. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're advertising it tonight and so on. So, well, a a little more understanding, because I think of this program, Tony, as being for the people who are not the super fans like uh, you are and somewhere more more like I am, uh, although I'm a a, a fan, but who, who, you know, they know the World Series is being played, but they're not quite up on the details and everything. And the World Series By the way, started, let me give you an update. It is the zero zero top of the fourth right now. And is it true that they're going to play straight through seven games yes. in a row? Yes. And so and, and they don't have to travel uh, and everything. And, and it's kind of like the bubble experience that the NBA has had where they've got it all in one place and sort of under control. Uh, it, it, it's somewhat like it uh, in terms of not having to travel. It's unlike it because there are fans but uh, uh, in, in that one sense about having to travel, it is like both the uh, the well, NBA and the NHL in their uh, in their uh, entire playoffs. Well, keep us up on the score now. Let's say one thing I want us to talk about tonight. We're going to take a break here in a moment. Is and maybe we can do this in the next part of the program. Is uh, well, I woke up the other day and I was uh, we Ed Funkhauser and I do a program that it is about people who have passed away and that. We, maybe we don't realize that they have left us. And uh, and I discovered that uh, one of the pictures that I thought was one of the greats of all time had, in fact, died, and I didn't know it, and that was Bob Gibson. And so Three of the greats of all time have passed away this summer. Don't go yet. Now, that's what we're going to do during the next quarter. And we've got, a, we've got a whole bunch of people that you and I talked about, and I, I want you to run over those and talk about them. And if you know anything about their minor league experience, because I know there's one of them, that played for the Durham Bulls at one time. Anyway, do you mind doing that? Nope, no problem at all. Tony Rigsby, our, our baseball guy, and uh, the time at WPTF is 917. We're talking baseball tonight on the first night of the World Series, and we'll be back right after this. A little music, 921. WPTF, Tom Kearney here. We're talking baseball with Tony Rigsby tonight, and uh, it had occurred to me recently that... Uh, well, it started with Lou Brock for me. Uh, I don't, Tony. I, I don't think he had passed away the last time you were on with us. And when Doctor Funkhauser uh, and I talked about him on our our necrology show, I got to make one of the points that I've always liked to make about. Uh, I, you know, I know a little about baseball. I don't know as much as you and Chase and other people do. But uh, when Lou Brock got on base, it it sort of changed the whole nature of the game. It wasn't just that he stole the base, but that they thought he was going to steal the base. That's true, and you know, he Lou Brock came along in the 1960s, which, in a lot of ways, was uh, one of the decades of the stolen base. Uh, the stolen base is not very much a part of Major League Baseball these days, 
but yeah. it, it, it was back then, and you know, you had Lou Brock, you had Mari Wills, and you had Willie Davis, who were all three among the uh, the greatest speedsters ever. In in the fifties, uh, if you stole like a uh, Aparicio did, say you if thirty bases, you probably won the title. And then Mari Wills, about sixty one, he you know he busted loose. And, uh, Brock and, he did that, up, and then of course you know a decade or and a half later than that, you know you had Ricky Henderson, but. Really, in recent years, uh, it has become something uh, not extinct, but uh, not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. Well, the fashion change has changed over the years, and of course, a lot has changed about baseball. Uh, uh, one of the questions that I will ultimately ask you, and I can even well, I, I won't ask you now, but uh, I do want to ask you during the second half of the program about because I didn't follow it as much as I should have this year about the Tampa Bay team and the, the theory that they proceeded on last year of, of starting relief pitchers and letting them pitch yeah. two innings. and Openers, they called them. Right. And so let's, let's talk about a little about that. But, but Lou Brock, uh, and, and it's always a good story to to talk about the trade that brought brought brought, brought Some would say the worst trade in Chicago Cubs history. Right. <laughs> Right, they got a pitcher who had won 21 games, but nothing much came of it, and they traded away. Yeah, there was uh, Ernie Brolio was the pitcher, and that was he was at the end of his career too. Right, and they got a player who really changed the game, and and ultimately was a result of what they're winning. I think he contributed greatly to at least two pennants. And so, oh yeah, I think you know definitely uh, both 1967 and 68, uh, he was a key factor there. And you know, you look at. Uh, uh, that was those things. Those Cardinals teams, uh, 64, 67, 68, all were uh, World Series teams and had some great players. You had Lou Brock, you had uh, Kurt Flood, you had Tim McCarver, Ken Boyer, uh, another person that we're going to talk about shortly, and, and Bob Gibson. Uh, and then in 67 and 68, you also had Roger Maris. So there were some great players on those uh Cardinals one guy, the, the shortstop, uh, Duke. Dick Grote? Dick Grote. He was on one yeah, of the former teams. Duke uh, basketball and baseball player and former Pirate. Right. He had won one pennant when he was with the Pirates, and then I think he was on the 64 team, wasn't he? And, yes, and, he was. And, of course, uh, uh, Durham, North Carolina native uh, uh, Roger Craig was one of the pitchers on that 1964 uh, St. Louis Cardinals team as well. And Julian Javier. Second baseman, Julian Javier, yeah. As we can always... Uh, was Willie, uh, or oh, what's his name, center fielder, uh, a good batter. I can't uh, think of his name right now. Uh, but Bobby Tolan was on one of those teams, too. I've, Bobby Tolan was a little bit later on. Uh, Mike Shannon was was on those teams. Um, we're about as, to have Shannon retired, I think, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, he's been one of the broadcasters, you know, for the last 40 years. Yeah, it's like uh, um, he certainly has had a long tenure. Um, he is not, you know, everybody has a, a style of broadcaster they like. And uh, Shannon is not from the the uh, school that I like, which is the Ernie Harwell, Ben Scully, highly polished set. He's a little bit more in the... Uh, in the Bob Prince mold, the sort of the, the craggy type announcer, you know what I mean. Kind of irascible. I got you. I understand yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, 
I'm not as discriminating as you are, but I understand exactly what you're talking about. And I love Bob Prince. I'll just have to admit that to you, sir. The gunner. Yeah, and I, I would I would maintain, and you would strongly disagree with me about this, the uh, Pirates had a much better announcer with Lanny for Terry. With oh, oh yeah, well, they're, they're different things. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, Prince's popularity was due to something else uh, than... But, well, it's uh, sort of like uh, Harry Carey is, is in that same school. Um, right. I, I, yeah. I never thought Carey, he was a great personality, but uh, I never was much, very fond of him as an announcer. I'd rather have... Well, Jack. I always felt sorry for uh, for uh, uh, Jack Buck, uh, Jack Buck a right, professional I, having to deal with Harry Carey at the same time there. Uh, but he, in 19, I think, 56, the Cardinals broadcasting crew was Kerry, Buck, and Joe Garagiola, so that was a real set there. By the way, I was going to wait till we got over talking about these people. We probably ought to get on to Whitey Ford here in a minute, but at the same time, whatever happened to um, the Cincinnati broadcaster who misspoke? Has, has he been... Uh, Tom Brenneman? Tom Brenneman, yeah. Uh, he has submitted his resignation. Okay, I, I thought that probably was going to happen, but... Uh, he did not. He he did not have good thoughts. And one of the things, even if you don't have good thoughts, you have to be careful when you're around the microphone. And, uh, yes, you certainly do. Or on computer, as we saw with Supreme Court expert Jeffrey Tubin yesterday. Oh my you goodness! You've got to be yes. real careful. That, I always uh, thought that Tubin did a good job too. As a matter of fact, I uh, did too. This and, does, uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, nothing to do with baseball, but but uh, but it's uh, an appropriate thing to comment about. Uh, in 1954, uh, I have a story. I wanted to come, I wanted to, I had become a baseball fan. My grandfather had taken me out to the local TV store during the 1953 World Series. Channel 9 in Greenville was going to come on at Christmas. We were actually getting our signal from Norfolk. But I was a little boy who loved baseball, and this was the first chance I'd actually gotten to see the players on TV. And Channel 9 in Greenville came on at Christmas, and so the 1954 season was going to open. Uh, Whitey Ford uh, pitched for the Yankees against the Washington Senators. That was when this, when the American League quite often opened in Washington, so the president could throw out the first ball. And I didn't have a TV, so what I did, Tony, was to go downtown in Goldsboro and look through the window at the newsstand where there was a TV and watch Whitey Ford pitch. And the proprietor came out and ran me away. I've always had bad thoughts about him since then. But in and any you never way, bought a TV from him, right? Never bought a TV or, nor a copy of a newspaper or anything. But in any event, that's but that but that's a, my Whitey Ford story. And uh, of course, he pitched for the Yankees, won a lot of World Series games. Uh, we didn't hear much from him after he retired. But Edward uh, Whitey Ford, uh, Whitey Ford was part of the. Uh, uh, the gang of uh, partying Yankees uh, that used to perturb Casey Single quite a bit. Uh, you know, Mickey Mantle, uh, uh, Single always thought that uh, uh, Ford was a bad influence on Mantle uh, because they were both uh, of the partying school. But he was a great, great pitcher. Later was the Yankees pitching coach and also first base coach for the Yankees for a while. But... Uh, he didn't really pursue a very lengthy career in baseball following his active days. But there are those who would say, and, and I don't agree with this, uh, but there are some who would say that he was the greatest pitcher in Yankee history. I don't agree with that. Oh, I don't think uh, that's true either. We're going to have I to think, stop. 
I think Mariano Duncan was the best. I mean, Mariano Rivera was the best uh, pitcher okay. in Yankees history. But uh, let's call time now. We're going to have to stop because we're going to go straight into CBS News coming up here in about five seconds. Uh, I was having such a good time talking to you that uh, we're going to go straight to the news right now, John. It was great to be a Tiger fan with a Georgia peach and Wahoo Sam. They won the pennant three years in a row. Then Heilman led the squad, adding titles in years that were odd. Brick Stadium always had a hitting show. I'm talking baseball. Detroit Tigers baseball. Talking it for uh, one of the top Tiger fans around, Mr. Tony Rigsby, who is our guest tonight. Did I get it right, Tony? I, I couldn't hear you, Tom. Uh, what did you say? I said that was... Uh, the Detroit Tigers edition of Talking Baseball for our yes. guest tonight, one of the top Detroit Tigers fans around, yourself. I would, well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, that, that of course, uh, it was Terry Cashman who did those, the, all the Talking Baseball songs in the, uh, in the 1980s, and I must admit they are my favorite baseball song. Well, he mentioned a Detroit announcer, not, uh, not uh, who Ernie Harwell, but Harry Heilman was, you know, who yeah. was a great player, was also one of the first announcers for the Tigers on the radio, but we were talking about Whitey Ford, and I think I agree with you. In fact, I, the whole time we were gone for the break, I was thinking of Yankee pitchers, and I, the, you know, the Yankees have never been one of those teams. They won a lot, but but their secret was at the bat rather than than the. That's pitchers. true. Of course, you know you you know you had some great ones uh, like Catfish Hunter, but Mariano Rivera was the greatest relief pitcher of all time, so he stands out to me as their best pitcher ever. Well, I know my brother is a baseball fan. You know him, and I used to. We would call up, and somebody would say, "He say, well, how about the Yankees?" And the only question was, was Rivera in the game? And if Rivera was in the game, yeah. the Yankees had it won, you know. And uh, and uh, it, you didn't need to even know what the score was. But uh, but I think you're right about that. We've got some other players, Hall of Famers, too, who departed us. And I don't know where you want to go. Since we we've, we've talked about the Tigers, let's talk about one of the great all-time Tigers uh, who came to the major leagues, I think, when he was 18. Isn't that right, yeah, Al Kaline? Of, of all the Hall of Famers who passed away this year, uh, he was my favorite. Uh, Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, uh, went directly to the major leagues from playing high school ball in Baltimore. Uh, and that was the point, uh, Tom, in the 1950s, where you had the bonus baby rule that uh, if you got a certain size bonus, you had to spend two years on the major league roster before you could go to the minors. And it was a really stupid rule. But they had it for, for several years there. But in the case of uh, of dealing with Al Kaline, he never went down to the minors after that. That was not the case a lot of times. But he became the personification of the Detroit Tigers, uh, the most beloved player in franchise history. Detroit Free Press did a book this summer following his death called Simply Mr. Tiger. And uh, he stayed with the Tigers organization his entire life. Uh, following uh, his playing career, he became a Tigers broadcaster. Uh, did Tigers TV with uh, George Kell for over a quarter of a century. And then uh, went into the front office for a while and was still a special roving instructor at the time of his death. I may be wrong about this, and if I'm wrong, it's the, it's the player, but I think Al Kaline was the player, 
Henry Ford III, who took over the motor company, you know, uh, I remember reading one time that the first thing he did every morning when he came in and sat down at his desk was to compute Al Kaline's batting average. Huh, interesting. I've never heard that, but that, that would, would not surprise me, although the Fords actually owned uh, the Detroit Lions football team. But, uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, but anyway... Uh, uh, by the way, Tom, let me give you a quick update. It's now the bottom of the fourth, and the Dodgers leading the race two to nothing in Game One of the World Series. Did you say two to nothing or three to nothing? Two to nothing, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. Well, I have a, I have more friends who are Dodger fans than I do who are Rays fans, and so, uh, but uh, I'm just glad. Well, I'm, got... uh, I'm, I must admit, uh, working for the Durham Bulls, uh, they are the AAA affiliate that Tampa Bay Rays. I'm pulling for the Rays in this series. Uh, because uh, so many of these guys are familiar, but uh, a lot of Dodgers fans, and including our boss Rick Martinez, is a huge, huge Dodgers fan. Right, right. I remember that. Uh, well, um, maybe he's listening, and now he knows what the score is: three to nothing. Yeah. On well, I have a feeling. I'm sure Rick is watching, right? Now. Oh, why? Oh, I'm sure. I just Dodger had a hope. Fan. You know, yeah. you always have a wish. Yeah. Uh, we've got some other Hall of Famers who. Uh, who left us? Uh, uh, I don't know which one you want to go to uh, next. Uh, I would just say the the uh, player that, uh, as as Al Kaline was the personification of the Detroit Tigers, so was Tom Seaver, in my view, the personification of the New York Mets. Well, he could hardly be anything else because the real first success they ever had was on his back. Uh, Tom Terrific, as he was called. Tom Terrific, exactly. And, of course, he went on uh, to have a a long career, not all with the Mets. He was traded in a very controversial trade uh, to the Cincinnati Reds when he fell out of uh, favor with M. Donald Grant, who was the the lackiest to bad a word, but the person who did the dirty work, uh, the the henchman for owner Joan Payson for so many years uh, with the Mets, then later to the Chicago White Sox and Boston Red Sox. But Tom Seaver not only was the greatest pitcher uh, in Mets history, he became a huge personality, too. Uh, he was one of the players who really cashed in on the endorsements for, for years in the New York market. He became quite the celebrity, as did his wife, Nancy. I have. Uh... Red, uh, and I thought it was, was, was kind of pointed that they laid his uniform out before his locker, and somebody went in and took some dirt and put a stripe down the right hand leg, because he was known for dragging his. He got down so low in his pitching that he would drag yes, his he knee did. on the ground. Uh, I hadn't heard that story, but I wouldn't doubt it. That's why I'm here, Tony, to give you new stories. Yes, you. you you know a lot of this gossip. <laughs> I know the junk. You know that's exactly right. This is, but this is information that you can't. You can find all this, but you have to read a lot of books to do it. And I, I'm a single source here. And so, but uh, Tom, terrific. Uh, and of course, uh, it was uh, he had a. It was a sad ending for him because he had been suffering uh, from dementia for right. a while too, and so that that was very very sad. And the one. And, excuse me. The one that slipped by me is the, is the next one I want to look at, and that is uh, we, we should have put him up there with Lou Brock because they were the two of the leaders of those great 60s teams, and that is 
and he's a unique personality. I think I I watched uh, an interview on YouTube uh, about Bob Gibson, and it was with Joe Torre, and Joe Torre said he was catching uh, for the National League, and, and Gibson was pitching, and he went out to talk to him, and Gibson wouldn't talk to him. Gibson did not believe you talked to anybody but your own teammate, and that included. If, if you were on an all-star team, the players from other teams, it had to be a Cardinal for him to talk to him. So he would only talk to Tim McCarver. Um, yeah, that's right. It, Tory said he wouldn't talk to him. He just, it, just it stood there. I think that was the uh, the 1966 World Series uh, that he was talking about. That's uh, the 1966 All-Star game, I should say, yeah. which was one of the hottest All-Star games ever played. Uh, and, you know, that one was played in St. Louis. But was Joe, that when Joe they were Cor- playing, too? Uh, no, that was uh, 59 uh, through 62. Uh, okay. They had already gone back to one at that point. Uh, but Torrey was with the Milwaukee Braves, and he was a catcher at that point. He was the the all-star catcher uh, for, you know, it's interesting how you remember those. Uh, that game, game was in St. Louis, but my family, we were in Washington, D.C., and watched that game in a hotel in Washington, D.C., and I still uh, remember... Uh, reading comments uh, the next day from uh, uh, Joe Torre talking about how hot it was and uh, talking about how the fact that uh, he and Sandy Koufax, who uh, was also in that game, were just about dead by the time that game was over. Well, when you, I, I had forgotten that Torre called for the Braves, but you know his brother, Frank, played for the Braves, too. Yeah, he was a first baseman. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think you could find anybody in baseball history who may have had as much impact on the game and in as many different roles as Joe Torrey. Uh, consider the fact that he was Hall of Fame caliber player, Hall of Fame caliber manager, and extremely important and influential executive of Major League Baseball for many, many years, too. There are not many that you can check all those boxes on. Well, for what it's worth, I will always remember him right after 9-11 when they chose to play the baseball game. And I can see, of course, I see the mayor's picture of New York, but I see Joe Torrey always. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I would also add Joe Torrey, a very, very nice man, too. Okay, here's a guy you told me a long time ago played some time at Durham, uh, and a guy that I always I really admired, particularly well as a player. But when he became a broadcaster, I I, I listened to Sunday night games uh, just because he was on them. As a Joe, uh, what am I trying to say? Joe Morgan. Joe who, Morgan. Uh, I was going to say died Joe Torrey. last week. Uh, uh, tragically, Joe Morgan also had uh, had suffered from some dementia too, and his latter days, but 1963, coming up in the Houston Colt 45s organization, this was before they were the Houston Astros, uh, he played for the Durham Bulls for about 63 games in 1963, uh, before moving up uh, to Double uh, A Amarillo in, in the Texas League later in that season, but great career with Houston, but uh, remembered most as the uh, second baseman for the Big Red Machine. And uh, who can forget those Sparky Anderson teams? And I would uh, just add to you an uh, update on the World Series. Now 2-1, to one, former Durham Bull Kevin Kiermeyer has just hit a solo home run 
uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. All right. Well, getting to this point, I think we've covered the the players who recently passed away. Um, well, we've got a couple more who weren't Hall of Famers. Okay. Well, uh, can we have them? Can we take them after the break? Yeah. Let's sure. take a break, and we'll come back and and right. Jay Johnstone and some of the other players are worthy of our attention too. And uh, Tony Rigsby is talking about baseball tonight and keeping us up with the score in the first of the World Series games. And we'll be back to listen to him some more right after this. Enrollment in Part D of uh, uh, Medicare, which is a little bit complicated, and it's been available for about 15 years now. And each one of those years, Mike has come and talked to us about uh, uh, the enrollment process and, and how the the different uh, statuses change as we uh, approach and pass through something called a donut. But you'll have to tune in tomorrow night. But if you're if it's your time to sign up. You would want to listen to the program, and if you need some help, you can find out where you can get some help in understanding exactly what the enrollment process is all about. And uh, having said that, uh, Thursday night, it looks like the presidential debate is going to be on as of now, so you can listen for it on WPTF, and Friday night will be trivia night, and I have a feeling we're going to have some trivia about horror movies. It's about time to be thinking about Halloween and that, that kind of stuff, but tonight... Talking Baseball with Tony Rigsby on the first night of the World Series. Maybe later in the month of November sometime we can come back and assess the whole business again. And, and Tony, I thought at some point tonight we might talk about the other sports and how you thought they were going, but we do still have some baseball players to talk about. Yeah, we do. We had a couple of others who died, and one of them was uh, Jay Johnstone, who was something of a journeyman outfielder. He played for a lot of different teams in the uh, 60s and the 70s. Uh, but he was one of the guys who was a, a character, one of the uh, uh, the clown princes of baseball for a lot of years. I think he came up first with the uh, the California Angels, but then played for the New York Yankees and a number of other teams over the course of his career. He was apparently, I, I, my, my memory, and it may be wrong, is was he was a, a decent pinch hitter as a, as a player. He was, and he was a, he was a, a good outfielder, too. Um, I think he got his first break. He came up uh, to the Angels when Rick Reichert uh, went on to the uh, disabled list. and uh, He got called up from uh, their then AAA uh, team, uh, Seattle, in the, uh, in the Pacific Coast League. Another player who died was a key player in the 1965 World Series for the Los Angeles Dodgers, the series against the Minnesota Twins. And uh, he was a real journeyman. He played for a lot of teams, was in the minor leagues, got called up with injuries in uh, late July, early August, and was one of the catalysts for the Dodgers winning the National League pennant that year, and that was Lou Johnson, Sweet Lou, as they used to call him. Well, you know, when you mention that World Series, and this is, this is on the sort of dark side, but the person I think of, He's the guy who I think was the most valuable player of the World Series, uh, Zolio, Zolio Versailles. Versailles? Zolio uh, Versailles, yeah. How did, how did, did his thing get any better? He, he, I, he had a rough time. I mean, he was out hawking his World Series ring at one time. Yeah, and uh, I would have to do some research on that. I'm not sure. That was a great uh, twin team, though, you know, uh, anchored by Harmon Killebrew and Tony Oliva. Jimmy Hall, Don Venture, Earl Batty, Frank Willisie, 
Uh, Camilo Pasquale was the leader of the pitching staff. How about Bob Allison? Hawk Harrelson, no. No, Bob Allison. Oh, Bob Allison, yes. Yeah. Allison was not a starter on that team, but he was on that team. Yeah. No, that was it. When you, I'll tell you, you've just shown a mark of a memorable team when you can actually remember the players and all their positions. That is a memorable yeah. team. It was a very memorable team, and uh, uh, I, yeah, Harmon Killebrew was always one of my uh, favorite players. And majorly, you can tell that I was the guy who liked the sluggers more than the speedy guys. Well, and and I think it's because. Uh, a lot of times you like the guys that you can relate to more, and I never had any speed at all, but I could hit fairly well. So I, and I was a big guy. So I think I always just related to those guys a lot better. Well, I, I have seen precious few Major League Baseball games in real life, but I did see the White Sox play the Twins uh, in 71 or 72. And uh, what I remember from that game was Dick Allen was in the game, uh, Bert Blyleben was pitching, and 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 I could see, I could sit there and watch the curveball that they always talked about that he had. And then Harmon came out, and he had a jersey that looked like it was about three sizes too small for him. He he had some muscle. Oh yeah. He's only about five ten, I think, but he could definitely hit the baseball. You know how he got to the major leagues? Well, he came up with the Washington Senators originally. I know. You know who scouted him? I do not. Senator Frank Church. Of Idaho. Of Idaho. Yeah, he was from Idaho. And, and Church uh, went over to the senator's office or called him and said, there's this guy. You know, and that's that's one of the, and it's good to have a senator scout you. Uh, and uh, they eventually got to play for, for the senators before they moved to Minnesota. Again, a piece of arcane information that you can't get just Well, that's anywhere. an interesting one. And uh, Frank Church, of course, was a very prominent uh, senator in uh, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Yep, during the time of the Kennedy administration. And, uh, but, yes, and LBJ, yes. Yeah, well, uh, and he was obviously a baseball fan because he, he was aware of, I think, uh, I know Kilbrew was from Idaho, and I'm, I'm sure that story is, is correct. Well, we've that's just, what makes sense, yeah. We've just about run out of time now, and uh, I wish it would go on forever because it's just nice to talk baseball. Uh, it's, uh, it is two one-ball series right now, bottom of the fifth. Bottom of the fifth, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll let you go. Now, When, when if, if people are just mesmerized by the sound of your voice, when will you start delivering the news on WP? Well, you can join me tomorrow for the Triangle's new news. At okay. Well, right. noon, as uh, I fill in for Bruce Farrell tomorrow on that. All right. Well, thank you for being with us. I always enjoy it when you're here. And we've thank you, Thomas. We've got to ring a few memory bells. Tony Rigsby, long time, he's just a sports guy at WPTF, and he loves baseball, and he knows a lot about minor league baseball, and I thought it would be good tonight, particularly if he got a chance to talk about Joe Morgan, who had played for the Durham Bulls at one time. And Tony works, uh, has worked in the past, I guess he still does or will, for the Durham Bulls. And he, if his voice sounds familiar, he's the public address announcer, the guy who announces who's coming up to bat the next time. We've just about run completely out of time. I will remind you that Mike James will talk about uh, Medicare and Part D tomorrow night. Thursday night, we'll bring you the president. And he is debate. a bull-season ticket holder, by the way, Tom. Pardon me? Mike is a bull-season ticket holder. I, I don't have any trouble believing that. He's a sports fan. Okay, thanks, Mike. thanks, Tony. Thank you, Tom.